Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and... On their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to them, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, Thanks Thanks be be to God. In the 2015 Disney Pixar movie, Inside Out, major hit, we encounter this 11-year-old girl named Riley whose family is making a big move away from the Midwestern town and and the people that she knows and loves, way off to the big city of San Francisco. And as we know, change is hard, especially for an 11-year-old girl who feels like she's losing everything. And in the midst of such change, there are a lot of emotions involved. And in this particular movie, we actually get to meet these emotions. Joy, sadness, fear, disgust, and anger. Within Riley's mind, we have these characters who are doing everything to make sure that Riley's life is the best it could possibly be. And during this transition, we find the character Joy is doing everything that she can to preserve the joyful memories that Riley has created uh, in in her Midwestern hometown. But there's a problem. Change leads to a lot of emotions. One in particular is sadness that keeps inadvertently intervening and causing problems for joy as those precious joyful memories start to fade or get replaced by sadness. While trying to rectify it, joy and sadness get thrown from the control center of Riley's mind into the furthest depths, which, if you are taking note, this leaves fear, disgust, and anger in control of an 11-year-old girl's brain. And haven't we all seen these emotions show up in a preteen going through change? Truthfully, we could probably admit that we've seen these emotions of fear, disgust, and anger in ourselves as we go through change, because change is hard and uncomfortable. Inside Out is a movie that gives us a glimpse into how our minds work, 
in our everyday lives, most especially through significant change. And as you might have guessed at the movie title, our minds work from the inside out. Whenever anger is pushing buttons on the control panel in Riley's mind, guess what? Anger shows up in her actions. When fear is at the control panel, fear shows up in Riley's actions. Disgust is the same way, sadness is the same way, and of course, so is joy. During this season of Lent, as we, begin, as we began talking about on Ash Wednesday, we are exploring the, the way that God works to transform us from the inside out across the season of Lent and leading up to Easter as we prepare ourselves for a life of devoted service to Christ. And this journey, as we go through it, can seem like quite a lengthy journey without a defined start. You ever notice that that's always the problem when trying to do something new? We don't really know exactly how to start. Like maybe we'll, we want to start eating healthy and all of a sudden we just cut all of the things that we perceive as bad food out. And how long does that actually work for? Not very long. The same goes with exercise or any other habit we try to start. And really the truth is because we're not quite sure exactly what it means to start in these kind of things. So. As we start this journey of Lent, we turn to the life of Christ to imitate how he began his journey. And as we can see in Matthew, we begin where all journeys begin. In fact, it was the ancient Chinese philosopher and founder of Taoism, Lao Tzu, who acknowledged the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. For Jesus, the first step came after his baptism, as he is led into the wilderness to be tempted. And why is this Jesus' first step? I think it's because meaningful and healthy change begins from the inside out, and Jesus knows this. Have you ever thought about why Jesus had to be tempted in the wilderness to begin with? Before he does any kind of ministry, he's over there for 40 days and nights, going through, I mean, quite odd things, to be frank. Was it for the purpose of proving himself, or perhaps to challenge himself to see his limits? I don't think so. I could be wrong. I think, personally, that he was being prepared for the temptations that the world presents us. I think this first step was a moment of self-exploration, working on himself from the inside out in preparation for his ministry. Uh, we, as a society, we don't do a whole lot of introspection. We like to think that we do, but we could be doing a lot more. Uh, we don't do a whole lot of working on self-awareness in our lives. And the reason being is perfectly logical, even though unhelpful, and that's that we feel wholly content going about our lives just the way we are, feeling like there really isn't anything meaningful that might need to change. Or perhaps we see that there are certain things that we would like to change, but we just don't really understand why those things might need to change. We don't often look at ourselves closely enough to see that perhaps we ourselves need a little more work. And then, 
we end up wondering why we couldn't keep up that healthy habit of good eating and exercise. We wonder why when things don't go our way, we act irrationally. We wonder why things aren't as good as they could be, and we wonder why we don't live out the lives that Christ calls us to. The answer to our questions on the outside, I think, can be found on the inside. Now, if you've ever been in a Bible study with me, you know that I can be a, a bit of a heretic at times. And so I'll go ahead and preface the rest of this by saying, I might be wrong. And I'm okay with uh, if you want to come back at me after this and push back against this. But I do ask that for the next few moments you bear with me as we try to unpack a really challenging point of this passage. Because you see, it has always troubled me that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Did you notice that's how the passage started? Jesus is led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In Mark's gospel, it actually says the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness, as if like with a broom, like, go, go, go. What's the Holy Spirit doing trying to get Jesus to face up against the devil? Why would the Holy Spirit do that? And also, is the Holy Spirit going to do that with me? Because I don't feel emotionally or spiritually equipped to deal with that. Why would the Holy Spirit bring us face to face with Satan? That feels dangerous. Feels ultimately unhealthy. What's going on here? Why on earth would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus to be tempted? Doesn't it say in other parts of Scripture that God will never tempt you? What is going on here? Well, here's my moment of heresy and my observation. The name Satan comes from the Hebrew expression ha-satan. And here's a hint. That's not a name. It's a description. Ha-satan means in Hebrew, the adversary. And, in fact, it was never, ever considered a name until uh, the Jewish people began to uh, exchange ideas with the Zoroastrian people. It wasn't until that point that there was even a concept of the devil. Hasatan was really a broad concept. Many Different forms of Hasatan show up in Scripture. Most often it is uh, various other kings and rulers who come up against Israel. Sometimes it's entire nations, whatever might be an adversary for a person in that moment. But if we want to take an honest assessment of the greatest adversary in our lives, we might want to look inward. It was Walt Kelly, the creator of the comic strip Pogo. Did anybody ever read that comic strip Pogo? Yeah. Who, who parodied the famous quote from a Navy officer by saying, We have met the enemy, and he is us. Or perhaps you're more familiar with the band While She Sleeps, who sang for us, The enemy is the inner me. Or maybe you're more comfortable with the expression, you are your own worst critic. However you prefer to say it, the point that I'm trying to make is that our adversary, our Satan, on the path 
towards holiness is one we find within ourselves. The devil that Jesus faced in the wilderness was based on his own internal challenges and dialogue, was an adversary that comes up from within. And before he could take the next step on his journey in ministry, he seeks to eradicate the things that might tempt him to abandon his mission. Because as we know, just as much as Jesus is fully God, Jesus also comes as fully human. And don't we have those things in our lives that would tempt us to abandon our mission? Whenever, whenever I said earlier that we turn to the life of Christ to imitate how he began this journey, I mean this very part. The part in which we confront our own inner struggles that we must overcome. Now, Jesus' threefold temptation includes food, I get that, identity, and power. The food one is easy to relate to. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, and it even says, and after that, he was famished. I would be too. <laughs> if I miss a single meal, I'm likely to eat whatever shows up in front of me. Anytime I've tried to go on a healthy diet, it doesn't take much to be, for me to be convinced that Taco Bell is a far better choice. And I perfectly understand how weak I get whenever I'm hungry. And I don't mean physically weak, I mean mentally weak. My willpower is decimated and I will eat whatever is in front of me, even if the devil is presenting me with a rock. Yes, I will eat that. And now Jesus has the power to satisfy his hunger immediately, but he knows this truth. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We ourselves might not be able to turn stones into bread, but we certainly do have the tendency to turn every hunger into a physical one and satisfy spiritual needs by stuffing our faces or filling our closets or overindulging in our addictions. When faced with hunger, Jesus recognizes the importance of spiritual fulfillment without worldly gluttony. The second one might seem more confusing to us, but it's one that we each wrestle with constantly, and it has to do with identity. The temptation shows up with the devil saying to him, If, dangerous word to be talking with somebody, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so you will not dash your foot against a stone. Again, this one might seem confusing unless we acknowledge how Satan has started off this uh, challenge. If you are the Son of God. You see, throughout Jesus' ministry, people are constantly questioning his identity and who he really is. Even his own disciples aren't entirely sure. It's not until we get to a moment in which they're traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem and they stop at this place called Caesarea by the sea and the disciples come and say, people aren't really sure. Some say that you're Elijah or one of the prophets. Some say this, some say that. And Jesus says, but who do you say I am? And it's not until Peter finally gets the point, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Oh, finally get it. But this is a long way down the road. Jesus is going to be wrestling with the question of his identity for quite some time. The temptation for him could be to 
really and truly prove himself. And I don't just simply mean the way that Jesus does work to do this, which is by performing miracles of healing, which is already pretty impressive. But this is, you know, God. You ever heard, heard a, a parent say, I brought you into this world and I can take you out? Yeah, this is God. I brought you into this world and I can take you out kind of stuff. Jesus could really prove himself if he wanted to. I personally, I struggle with pride. It's, it's not the, the, the top of the seven deadly sins for me. That's sloth. Uh, I'll go ahead and admit that. Uh, sloth is at the top. Pride is my number two personal point of confession here. That'll probably come back to bite me. Uh, but <laughs> as I've mentioned before, I've never been particularly good at anything. I've always uh, plateaued at mediocre whenever it comes to things that I've tried to do in my life. Uh, but it wasn't just me who saw that, right? Uh, others recognized it as well. So I never really got called on to help out with stuff, and I certainly was never picked first or second or third or fourth or fifth to be on your team when it came to sports. In fact, there were many times I wasn't picked at all because they knew if I was on your team, you were going to be losing. However, that never stopped me from wanting to prove myself. I would do everything I could to show others that I was good enough, that my identity was not wrapped up in mediocrity. And that often made things worse because, well, if you're not good at something, you're not good at something, and you're not going to be able to pr prove otherwise unless there's uh, some really nice luck on your side, which it never was for me. So it just made things worse, particularly because I was doing it out of pride. You see, we have this tendency to want to prove ourselves, to show others what we are capable of and be seen as good or worthy or even at times superior. Jesus could prove himself by having the angels protect him, but his goal wasn't to prove himself. It was, as Luke 4 reminds us, to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set, it fr to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus didn't need to prove himself, he just needed to accomplish his mission, but the temptation could still easily be there. We might not be able to leap from the pinnacle of the temple and be caught by angels, but we can leap into self-destructive habits that lead to a spiritual death more often than not in the misguided belief that we need to prove ourselves to others. The last temptation was always so silly to me. Why on earth would Jesus ever bow down to Satan? Why is this even something that's present there? Satan takes Jesus up to a high mountain and shows him all of the kingdoms of the earth and says, I will give you all of these if you simply bow down and worship me. I mean, surely Satan isn't that stupid. Right? And surely, this isn't even a temptation for Jesus. So what's going on here? Well, recall that these temptations are more about the human condition and what lies within. 
I imagine that it could have crossed Jesus' mind that if he did just go ahead and become ruler over all of the kingdoms of the earth, it would make it so much easier to spread the message of love and grace and to proclaim and establish God's kingdom in their place. If Jesus would just go ahead and take control of the entire earth, we could skip past this whole, you know, warring uh, nations and all this suffering and stuff like that. You know, if, if Jesus would just have gone ahead and done this, it would have been so easy for the rest of the ministry of Christ and his disciples and the church over the next 2,000 years. It's honestly, sounds kind of nice if it would have worked out that way because it's for me at least, seems like a pain how Jesus chose to spread the gospel from the bottom up, from the poor to the rich. Seems like there's a lot of resistance there, and it would have been a lot easier if it would have just gone from the top down, from the powerful to the powerless. But Jesus knows better. Even though Jesus does indeed deserve all of the kingdoms and powers of this world, he knows what is important, that it's about the people. We aren't shown the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and given the keys to these kingdoms if we just keep worshiping the false gods we have set up in our lives like wealth and comfort and being right all the time. Yet we believe we deserve everything and anything our hearts desire in an odd confusion about our rights and our freedoms. If we are to press on through this journey of faith toward holiness, we must contend with our own adversaries, our own internal temptations, just as Christ did for his first step. And so the challenge I want to present each and every one of us with today is to take the first step of turning inward. Change happens from the inside out. At the end of the movie, Inside Out, Joy realizes that it's not all about her. As much fun as it is to be joyful all the time, the other emotions are just as important. And if Riley is going to live a truly joyous life, then she needs an inner peace with her emotions, not a dictator who's going to throw the emotions into chaos. The first step of the next journey in Riley's life in this movie requires her inner self confronting their own struggles and temptations. Might we need to do the same? Because this is how we go through healthy change, from the inside out. During the season of Lent, we're going to be focusing on how God transforms us from the inside out. And I firmly believe that the first step on this journey is to confront those inner devils, those inner adversaries, those temptations that would lead us astray, that would take all of our attention and consume our life. And we all have them. They, may, they might not perfectly reflect the three that Christ went through, but we all have those temptations. I think that as we confront these, as we acknowledge what's truly important on this journey forward, we might be able to focus more on how God is working to transform us from the inside out because our actions are going to reflect our intentions. Our actions are going to reflect what comes up from within.
So let us face our own internal struggles in this first step. Let us overcome our inner temptations in this first step, and let us press on towards the goal that Christ has set before us, one step at a time. And let us pray.